Another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. We're bringing you some baseball history on this wonderful June day. That's right. On this June day, we are a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher catcher does not know what the story pitcher is going to throw be, at them. He's going to throw at them. Yes. That's I was going to, I was, I thought off the top of my head before we started, I was going to throw a, uh, what the story uh bullpen coach does not know what the story manager is going to be telling them but that's a little bit uh, that's a little bit of a stretch it's a bit of a stretch i yeah. just i well i like this you know <laughs> baseball uh reality that we live in that that the catcher has no idea what the pitcher's going to be throwing <laughs> yeah. it really our metaphor sucks it's and terrible it's terrible yeah. uh but at the same point we're back it's been uh four weeks uh we missed a little bit we did a little traveling did a little life change uh you know good times uh it was a good time it was a good time it was definitely a good few weeks um but we're back edzy and and before we start, we should probably tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball or at our personal one at Sean Do Baseball and Ed's Do Baseball. But you can also follow us on Instagram at uh, Doing Dot Baseball. That's right. So give us a review as well. Give us a rating. Uh, anything like that, you got an idea for an episode, let us know. Yeah, um, we'd love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this one was actually given to me by my dad. Oh, well, thank you, Jed. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Jed. It was great to see your dad, actually. I just want to say. It was great to see your dad in the last he, couple weeks. It's been a while. He listens to this. I know. But not regularly. It was great so, to see you, Jed. Yeah, this is going to be eight months from now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's going to be, when did I see Ryan last? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, in classic parents fashion, he, he, he gave me a printed out bio uh which turned out to be this guy's saber bio uh and honestly the most intriguing thing about this is not necessarily the person because the person's pretty shitty okay but it's the first time in baseball history where something called electronic sign stealing took place now edzy are you familiar with this controversial use of technology to steal signs i i don't know i th i think i am like <laughs> like just are they using cameras like that's it no we're not talking cameras here okay we're then, talking no, a pioneer no. before the average man could have a camera or mm. a video okay we're going then no way back but you're familiar with the astros scandal. Yes, the yeah, yankees that, of course thinking, there's the yeah. letter or something and was weirdly not as important somehow. The uh, alleged Blue Jays man in the white shirt. Exactly. This is a topic that baseball fans have talked about for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, we're, we're over a century, as we're going to find out today. Uh, oh, okay. It goes back that far. Yes. See, so, the technology threw me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really uh, It'd be primitive. Yeah, it's yeah. primitive. Okay. Yeah. So that being said, in order to tell this story, we need to talk about a guy named 
Pierce Nugent Childs, who was born May 28, 1867, in Deepwater, Missouri. Okay. All right. 1867. That's a a fair fair bit ago. Yes. So I should start this story uh, noting I I did find a few sources on this, but, but really... In order for any of us, including probably some of those other sources, uh, to be talking about Pierce Childs, we really have to thank Ron Schuler uh, and his tireless effort he did uncovering Childs' deeds and misdeeds uh, throughout his life. Uh, not all this info is from him, but a lot of this is from his uh, blog post that is basically the Saber bio as well for, for Pierce Child. So okay. uh, let's just start off the bat by thanking Ron for uh, digging through all these old newspapers for us. So mm-hmm. Pierce was the only son of Alfred M. Childs and Amanda Rutherford, but he was also their youngest. Uh, he had three older sisters, Martha, Anna, and Lily. Uh, and at eight years old, uh, Alfred died. So Pierce's dad died. Um, At eight years old? Yeah, yeah. So Amanda's a single parent now. And you'd think with that many, you know, three older sisters and and a single mom that, you know, this guy would grow up respecting women. (laughs) You would think so. (laughs) You would think so. And that's why, as you're going to hear, is bullshit when somebody gives you the defense, I have a daughter, (laughs) or I have a sister, or I have a mother. We all do. We all do. Yeah. And people are still pieces of shit. Um, So anyways... Uh, uh, let's see. Um, so Pierce definitely chooses the opposite direction (laughs) than respecting women. Uh, so Pierce Childs could not be held down and became a bit of a nomad right from the start. So it's really unclear exactly how he started playing ball, uh, especially in his teenage years. But by his mid-twenties, he was going from one minor league team to the next, with stops in Lawrence and Topeka, Kansas in 1893, so he would be about 26 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1894, he would play for Little Rock and St. Joseph, Arkansas. Uh, He was described as a crack ball player, but never seemed to hang around too long, in some cases, probably because he wore out his welcome or faced arrest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit of a... He's, he's rough around the edges. He's very rough around yeah. the edges. He's does, put it lightly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, a lot of minor crimes. And honestly, anybody that talks about him, the specifics of these crimes, you'll, you'll hear about a few. But, I mean, for the most part, it just seemed like he was... Would just steal or you know just, just womanize and just okay wear out his welcome very quickly right, right uh so like this guy's making us look bad let's get this guy out. yeah yeah so yeah. in 1895 uh chow's mother amanda died uh chow's returned home for a while to grieve to bury his mother and to get her affairs in order okay like and 10 he, years later he also decided to fuck a teenager fucking yeah Jesus so right <laughs> Remember, he's 28-ish at this time in the... Yeah, so... Man. Yeah, so the, this... this Fucking hard left. Yeah, this girl that he uh, had raped, essentially, or was accused of raping, uh, she was 16, and, and the age of consent was 18. Uh, Pierce was 28. Uh, so he definitely wore out his welcome in his hometown with that. Uh, and yeah, he, no heads o- he heads off to Phoenix, Arizona, to play... Uh, in the fall and in the winter league there. 
and word starts spreading about this, and, and basically the authorities aren't too far behind. So, okay. so according to a February 11th, 1896 article in the Los Angeles Times, Charles was, a wanted, was wanted in Missouri for illicit relations with a 16-year-old girl there, as the age of consent in the state was 18 years. The article went on, the charge against him is constructive rape. So, once again, really, like, sounds like not only did he do this, but he was running away at the time. So he's a terrible... He's a Terrible piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My jaw is agape right now. Yeah, so as I say, we get into more baseball stuff. Uh, Yeah, so the police, basically, the arrest warrant comes. He's able to escape Phoenix before any police officer can get him. It can apprehend him. But he's playing on, like, a winter ball team, so (laughs) he's just gone. He takes off uh, in the middle of the night, uh, and he ends up... Once again, playing baseball, this time in Shreveport and Galveston, Texas. So these were bit western towns, like, not mm-hmm. that Phoenix wasn't, but he basically was just, his baseball career was him constantly changing teams to not get arrested for rape. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's heavy. Yeah, all right, <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel, and that's why I wrote this. I'm amazed that, like, they weren't just, like, like, did I guess they wouldn't know, like, who he was playing for, so they couldn't, like, contact yeah. specifically who he was playing for at the time and just be like, hold this fucking guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in some cases, the, the teams were well aware of this, though, and hired oh, him anyways. Me. It's, fuck. yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the 1890s. Like, I mean, not that people aren't bad now, but, oh. Anyways, yeah. so... I also feel like bringing up a quirky nickname is in bad taste, given what we were just talking about. Um, You know, a child predator on the run from the law. But Pierce Childs had an amazing nickname. Oh, God. Childs was an outfielder. He played some infield as well. Uh, And when an opposing hitter would hit an easy pop-up to him, he would settle under it and yell, What's the use? (laughs) Before catching it. What? What a weird thing to say. Yes. Well, he's like, what's the use? I'm going to, like, I guess that. What's the use of that? Yeah. Like, that was. Like, he's, like, he's yelling it at the guy the that just hit yeah. it. Like, what's the point of hitting it like that? That was shitty. Yeah, yeah. So. It's a long way to go. Also, like, in some accounts, he yells, uh, it's no use. Right? Okay. Like, so right. kind of along yeah, yeah. those lines, right? I think I get what he's getting at. Yeah, so he... he That's his nickname? He ends what's up being use? called Pierce What's the Use Childs. <laughs> it's kind of a shitty nickname, honestly. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. It's not a nickname. Yeah, it's, it's a, a phrase. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, like a, a... I don't know. A, a tagline? A, it's, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, like Buzz is a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Ed's is a nickname. Yeah. If I called you, like, Ryan, <laughs> rock and roll, Taylor, handstand, Edwards, that would not, that's not a nickname. That's not even, anyways. Let's carry on. He's what's the use, Charles. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, in 1896, uh, Charles played for Scranton, Pennsylvania, and in 1897, returned to the Texas Association on Pete 
Weckbeckers, Sherman Denison Tigers of the Texas League, who were in dire need of an outfielder and signed Childs despite knowing he was a wanted man. Okay, so they knew. <laughs> yeah, so the manager remained anxious that Childs would be apprehended before he arrived. <laughs> what a weird thing to be concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not not the fact that you're like yeah. bringing a rapist into your community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, hope I hope he gets here. Yeah. <laughs> hope he doesn't get arrested before he gets here. We could really use an outfielder. Right oh now. my god. There's nobody else. Yeah. So fortunately <laughs> for Childs, uh, Denison was was known as a bit of a lawless town, as was like Shreveport and like all these other places he went to following yeah, no the kidding. accusations. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, by the end of the season he'd actually been named manager of the Tigers. So the manager that was nervous that he wasn't going to show up mm-hmm. gets into an argument with his management. They end up firing him. And Childs, because he's such a mean, dirty son of a bitch, they're like, well, he's, he'd be a great manager. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's known as a bit of a scoundrel. Uh, if you didn't already understand that. Uh, but at the time, baseball was like a scoundrel sport, right? So there was, as we know from old episodes, there was cheating. Uh, there was, you know, first baseman grabbing onto the belt of the runner for a split second. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were spikes all the time, tripping, fist fights, fans throwing shit on the field, umpires fighting players, players fighting umpires, fans fighting everybody, uh, guns being pulled. Yeah. <laughs> Why it makes sense that, like, in this time, it was considered that you had to be a a very manly man to play baseball. So, in this case, that's why he gets the job. Because he's just the biggest piece of shit of everybody. And they're like, this man's a leader. He's a leader. He's great at cheating. (laughs) Fuck me. The standards at the time. He's been on the run for years. He's way smarter than the police. I think he would be great. outsmarted the police can certainly outsmart the other team yeah um so uh yeah yeah so uh let's see so his reputation allows him to become manager uh the next year he headed back up north to pennsylvania and was named player manager of the lancaster maroons in the atlantic league in 1898 and the team did well finishing 82 and 50 and finally an mlb took notice of pierce child's Okay, which which team was it? So on the precipice of his thirty second birthday, and mm-hmm. I mean, there was a couple blog posts like there wasn't a lot of info on this guy, and they kept saying thirty third birthday over and over again. I kept checking, but it's eighteen ninety nine. He was born in eighteen sixty seven. He's thirty. it's his thirty second birthday basically. Yeah, he gets an invite to spring training with the Philadelphia Phillies of the National League. Okay, yeah. So, uh. It wasn't necessarily to try... Well, it was a tryout, per se, but the Phillies had a team called the Yanigans, which would be a roster of invites to spring training that were specifically there to play the regular team. Oh, okay. So it's essentially... like a practice squad? Yeah, or it'd be... Yeah, a practice squad or, like, the Blue Jays or or a a major league team, like, getting their AAA team to right. play the major league guys okay so they have a chance of making the team i was gonna team, ask if they can if they even had a chance of making the team they, but, but essentially yeah so the the idea is to have another team play to get a good look at how the players fared against mlb talent while also giving your mlb team in those days where spring training wasn't all condensed in one area mm-hmm. uh, uh somebody to play against constantly 
if yeah. if there was nobody traveling through town to play them. So Childs plays on this Yanigans team, and not only did he impress, but because he's 32 or he's 31, I'm about to turn 32, he meshed really well just with this whole team. Right. Uh, he was getting along with the Phillies regulars and just you know it he sounds just, he's he was experienced and been around and obviously was like you a know a bit of a man? schmoozing <laughs> yeah. con man to be able to avoid arrest for so fucking long <laughs> he was a piece of shit yeah yeah and still the fact that this is not an issue for them is uh True. is an issue for for most people but anyway so um this is where this is like this. I was unexpecting this. Um, so, so he's really good at billiards and stuff too. Once again, playing into that con man, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's really, so apparently everybody wanted to play him. He's in billiards. Hustler. Yeah. He's a hustler. He's a con man. He's a real piece of shit. Uh, but there was another guy, Duff Cooley, who you probably have heard of, uh, who was a first baseman, I believe. Uh, he was also really good. So him and Duff Cooley become, you know, buddy buddies, but he really ingrains himself into the team because the team ended up having two acapella groups. <laughs> two. So. <laughs> Not just one. Apparently it was like super punk at the time to have like a four-man, you know, barbershop quartet essentially. Well, I think it's punk right now. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Everything comes back. Yeah. <laughs> so fellow billiard aficionado Def, Duff Cooley Formed a group with third baseman Bill Lauder, pitcher Ron Donahue, uh, sorry, Red Donahue, and shortstop Monty Cross. Immediately, the women of Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Phillies were holding their camp, uh, lost their shit and their skirts and were absolutely over the moon. Oh for, my God. For this barbershop quartet. What was their name? Uh, I, I forget. I, it was probably written. So it doesn't matter. Uh, because Morgan Murphy, who you're going to hear a lot about, uh, was the backup catcher. And he was like, hey, Pierce, we got to get some of that action. <laughs> we got to start a band too, buddy. Of course you do. I can sing bass. So who do you think they added to it? Elmer Flick, of course. And it's got to be a four-man group. See, I don't know. You've done a podcast on him. Oh. Big Ed... Delahanty? Hell yeah. yeah. I didn't know that Ed Delahanty could sing. <laughs> I should have listened to that Actually, one today. Actually, that might be, yeah, that might might be in the episode. Something in That's there a very musical singing, episode. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the plan worked, uh, and what they actually did was, in, they were like, well, these guys are like the swooners. Like they're, 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 so let's be funny. Let's sing funny songs, but we'll oh, still be. Yeah. They were the weird owls. Yeah. So this, so Morgan Murphy, Childs, Elmer Flick, and Delahanty do this comedy acapella group, and by the end of spring training, of course, all the girls are like, "Oh, screw you, like uptight guys. We're going with these. We fun. like the three funny guys and the piece of shit." Yeah. <laughs> I think well, Delahanty. Del- yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, uh, I can't believe that. There was a spring training storyline consisting of rival acapella groups, but that was once a spring training storyline, <laughs> and we would love the papers it. Papers were covering it. Yes, they were. Oh my god! Um, so uh, Charles is thirty-two. He makes the big league team for the first time, but he's a utility infielder, outfielder. Uh, 
the team is very good. Uh, so some of those guys I mentioned, obviously Delahanty, Elmer Flick, like the top-notch ball players at the time. Uh, so <laughs> do you think he made the team because the other guys were like, "Well, he's in our band. We we, well, we need to practice." Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> like he definitely made an impression. You know, mm-hmm. enough that they brought him in. In yeah. that kind of a sense. <laughs> yes. But he's still a huge piece he's of dead. shit. Exactly. Okay. He is. He's dead. Don't worry. Uh, All right. <clears throat> so, um, on April 18th, 1899, Childs makes his major league debut, pinch hitting for Chick Frazier in the ninth inning against the Washington Senators. Childs doubles and then came around to score, but the comeback was stifled and the Phillies lost 6-4. to four. The Philadelphia Inquirer referred to him as a bright, as the bright particular star of the matinee. Um, Charles was essentially really good for the 1899 Phillies, but as I mentioned, they were just generally good. Uh, so Charles became a super utility uh, player, so he played 25 games at first, 16 at second, 13 in left field, 2 in center field, and 31 in right field. Wow. Yeah. He's all over the place. Yeah, it's like DJ LeMayhew, Ben Zobrist, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, uh, he also hit extremely well in 356 plate appearances, so about half the plate appearances as a starter. Uh, but he did bat 320 with two home runs and an OPS of 814, which is good enough for a 125 OPS plus. And the Phillies would finish with a phenomenal 94, 58, and 2 record, but that was only good enough for third place. Okay. So that sucks. Yeah. Uh, but either way, uh, Charles had great year for a 32-year-old rookie, and you'd think he'd play a lot the next year, but that wasn't the case. So he comes back to the team. This is 1900 now. Uh, and newspapers, because of the lack of playing time, start referring to Charles more as a base coach uh, than a player, even though he was still playing part-time. Okay. Um, it's weird. So Charles just becomes the regular Was he coaching. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. remember he coached a couple years before the Phillies right. brought him on. True. So, so I did read one hypothesis that said, well, maybe they had really brought him on with the idea of, of making him, a coach. making him a coach. Right. right? right. <laughs> he fucks that up. Anyways, <laughs> I was going to say, what crime does he commit? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, well, you'll, okay. see. Okay, uh, you'll so, see. So Charles became the regular third base coach, uh, and it's possible that the Phillies just wanted him to transition from player to coach. Uh, but Charles still played 33 games in 1900, but hit a peltry 216 only over just 120 plate appearances. So no one gives a shit about how he hit, though, because Pierce Charles made his impact on the field for the Phillies in a different way in 1900. You can only imagine. So, remember his singing partner, the backup catcher, whose name I did not write down, so I'm going to have to scroll back up. It's something Murphy. Something Murphy. Uh, Morgan Murphy. Um, that backup catcher. So, Murphy was a bench player and had already really started scheming and stealing signs, uh, including, you know, going out in the outfield and like waving a towel and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So, I mean, there's some things that, that a lot of this gets credited to Charles, but I think Murphy was just as important. Yeah. Just as in on this. Yeah. Yeah. So Charles and Murphy, uh, create a plan. 
There was a second spitter. Yeah. So this plan apparently, and that's why I put that caveat here, is, is, is apparently this is, Charles had a moment of inspiration in the off season. So this is uh, actually from a, a book uh, called Cheated, the inside story of the Astros scandal and a colorful history of sign stealing written by Andy Martino. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the first chapters about Charles. So uh, there's a whole bunch of book after this. So go check that out. Um, but anyways, uh, so this is right from the book in the winter following the 1899 season, a lifelong reprobate and current Philadelphia Phillies utility man named Pierce Charles, whose nickname included Petey and what's the use spent, <laughs> spent a day at the racetrack in new Orleans. When Charles looked through a pair of field glasses to better see the horses, he noticed something else just past the track a high school baseball game, and a clear view of the catcher's signs. Mm. Charles had an idea. So that's where he says, or the story goes, that, that he got the inspiration. So Charles and Murphy devise a plan and put it into action. Murphy used a roll-up piece of paper, holding it horizontally when a fastball was coming, and vertically when a curveball was coming. This, of course, was very obvious. And other teams were like, hey, yeah. what's that guy doing? Yeah. What's that guy changing that piece of paper at every pitch? Yeah. And he's out like there is a, there's a building beyond center field. Yeah. That he's. He's up in the building? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in a moment of brilliance or stupidity, you can decide. Uh, Charles thought back to a time earlier in his life when he'd been shocked by a live wire and thought, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a good idea, I guess. So the two, I believe they snuck on after, I don't know if the groundskeeper knew about this. He had to, I don't know. So they bury this coil of wires below the third base coach box and then run the wire all the way out beyond center field where Murphy would sit with field glasses to observe the signs. Using a buzzer, Murphy would send an electric shock through the wire to a small puddle in the coaching box where Childs will have placed his foot. Childs... Oh my Jesus. So Childs is essentially getting electrocuted. (laughs) Yeah. And he would give a prearranged hand signal to the batter. Remember, this is coming like moments before the pitch. So, you know, it might be as something as just him being like... "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) So... But that's the thing. Is 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 yeah, like I, he, how come the coach is screaming yeah, every his leg would twitch. <laughs> like so he'd be standing there. I can't stand up because I'm but he'd just be like standing there watching the game. <laughs> like and people would be like, What? Like people noticed this, but there's no they couldn't conceive what was going on. This is what you meant by technology. Yeah. So, so he's being slightly electrocuted. Anytime Every there's time a, there's a fastball. <laughs> this bitch is electric. <laughs> Maybe that's where the phrase came from. That's it. That's yeah. it. I'm going to confirm that that's what happened. <laughs> so, so, so people began to notice and, and start asking a few questions, mainly like saying, are you okay? <laughs> Why does your third base coach have in like yeah. spontaneous I think your third base coach is epileptic, guys? Like, like take him to a hospital. Yeah. Um, so one Philadelphia. I think news- he comes every time he throws a fastball. <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> 
<laughs> just a little smoke coming off yeah. his hat. <laughs> Love this picture. <laughs> okay. So Thanks one care. Philadelphia paper even That's joked gross. about it and said Childs had it, had the disease of St. Vitus dance, but only in one leg. <laughs> only in... <laughs> the, the disease of St. Vitus dance? What does that mean? I think St. Vitus is like the devil or a demon, um, okay. I believe. So there's, there's a metal band called St. Vitus and a really wicked metal bar in Brooklyn called St. Vitus. So I, I don't know the connection. definition, but you know, that's, that's what I got there. Okay. Are you, are you looking up St. Vitus? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they, they said he had the, the same, had the disease of St. Vitus dance, but only in his legs. I'm assuming St. Vitus dance might have been a weird thing that went around in the 1870s. No? It says here, what is St. Vitus known for? St. Vitus is widely venerated as the patron saint of epilepsy. Oh, oh. Oh my god, that is way what? <laughs> he is also the patron saint of dancers, actors, comedians, oversleeping, boilermakers, Sindenham's Coria, and several cities including Prague and Rijeka. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wasn't expecting that definition. That's from connectusfun.org. Okay, well, thank you, Connect Us Fun. Uh, fun that was fun. <laughs> Finally, as these things do, everything came to a head on September 17th as the Philadelphia Phillies played the Reds at home in a doubleheader. Uh, the Phillies were above 500, but pretty much all but out of the pennant race, and the Reds sat at the bottom of the National League. But that didn't stop Red's second baseman, team captain, and future narc slash umpire, Tony Corcoran, from deciding he was going to get to the bottom of Pierce Child's twitchy legs. <laughs> they gotta figure this out. I'm gonna figure that they keep hitting the ball when he twitches. <laughs> <laughs> so in the third inning of the first game, Red shortstop. Uh, sprinted over to third base. I think you call him second baseman, but whatever. He plays up the middle. Uh, he prints, sprints over in the middle of the game to the third base box and starts just digging. He starts like <laughs> like a dog with its like hind legs, like just trying to dig up the dirt. Dogs don't use their hind legs to dig. Either way, it's <laughs> he's using his spikes to try to dig up to be like, what the fuck? So uh, his Sporting Life uh, narrated what happened next. So I'm just going to read from the Sporting Life article. So in fact, uh, talking about Corcoran's actions cause consternation on the bench, which is held down by the genial Schetzlein. Uh, he, I believe, is the 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 the, um, the the groundskeeper. For a while, uh, Corcoran was in the midst of his energetic endeavor. Endeavors. Oh, sorry, that's not the groundskeeper. So groundskeeper Schroeder, accompanied by a sergeant of the police, swooped down upon the Cincinnati Generalissimo. Uh, good. Uh, but not before he had lifted a board, disclosing a nicely prepared hole in which was snugly fitted an electric apparatus. Oh. Now so they, here... So they've discovered it. Okay. So what do they do about it? Well... Umpire Let's test it out. <laughs> That'd be fun. Uh, no. Okay, no. Umpire Tim Hurst. Oh, fuck. Podcast alumni. Yeah. Uh, walked down the third baseline to see what all the commotion was about, and after looking at what uh, the red shortstop had uncovered, uh, in the most Tim Hurst way ever, he told everybody to get back to their positions and play the game. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't worry about this. Yeah. It's fine. I'll fight you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, honestly, Tim Hurst showing up there, that's amazing. And everyone definitely listened to him and just shut up about him playing the game because <laughs> like, okay. he would fight you. Yeah. Uh, but the next day, uh, Charles decided he was going to have a little bit of fun. His scheme was up. But so far, no yeah, consequences. Up, yeah. Right? They discovered it. They, he can't do it anymore. Um so the next day, he yeah, but they kind of just like discovered. I guess they, I guess discovering it kind of. You'll they they figure out what it's for. Yeah, you'll you'll see kind of. Okay. So the next day, Charles was placed at first base coach instead of third base coach. <laughs> uh, before the game, he dug around in the coaching boxes a little bit to make it look like there was loose soil, uh, <laughs> and then. Middle of the game, he starts twitching his leg again. <laughs> so the Reds start running over to the first base docks and start digging in the first base box now. Um, but all they find is like a little piece of wood, and clearly Charles was just fucking with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's funny, I guess. Um, so teams were now pissed uh, to hear of the fuckery, and the league took it much more serious than Tim Hurst or Charles did. Uh, they launched an investigation into sign stealing, not just this case, but around the league. They wanted to clean it up. Uh, we've talked about, you know, cleaning mm. up baseball. Yeah. This was a big, you know, turn of the century. We're going to yeah. make it from a scoundrel's game into a gentleman's game. Mm -hmm. uh, the Reds became the sign-stealing Hardy Boys, and two weeks later, unearthed another sign-stealing scheme, this time uncovering the Pittsburgh Pirates using a clock to signal which pitch was coming. A clock? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after both schemes were unearthed, fans learned uh, that the teams were, in fact, aware of each other's sign-stealing schemes. So the Pirates and the Phillies knew about each other's schemes, <laughs> but didn't tell anybody and had a gentleman's agreement to not do it when they played each other. I was going to ask, like, did they, they mustn't have used it yes. against each other. Yeah. Um, so as the 1900 season ended, the National League was uh, array with scandal, and the owners met to discuss the charges and what could be done. Some of them were absolutely furious. Uh, as we've seen when these sign-stealing scandals break, there's there's always the one person that's like, kick them out of baseball! We don't need the Yankees anymore! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And there's other people that are like, yeah, well, probably everybody was doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just caught these guys yeah. first. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, some thought there would be should be serious repercussions. Brooklyn president F.A. Abel uh, wanted the Phillies batting averages expunged from the record books. For the whole season, uh, and their wins vacated. You know they didn't. They won. They came in like fourth or something. It doesn't like, matter. Whatever. No yeah. big deal. No real consequence there. Yeah. So the Phillies majority owner, Colonel John I. Rogers, uh, did not agree with this assessment, <laughs> and in fact stood defiantly in front of the press and was like, "Yeah, it's fine if you cheat as long as you do it the right way, man." <laughs> Is that a direct quote? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, you'll, you'll, I got some direct quotes here coming I up. I, it's just like, it's like, it's just, we're competitive. We're being competitive. Yeah. You know, if you do it right. Uh, Everyone's trying to get an edge. Yeah, exactly. Man. How many times have we heard that? I hear it all the time. Exactly. So he, he also claimed that an entertainment company, a circus essentially, that had used lights during a fair at the field or some shit. I don't know. He, they, they, they just forgot the box underneath third base. 
And, you know, it's just, a, a, Charles was just getting electrocuted and just not noticing it. <laughs> just happened to be before pitches were coming. Um, so here's a quote. Uh, this was known at first only to our groundskeeper, but the players finally got onto, onto it and gave out as a joke that it was to give Charles our usual coacher electric shocks through his feet as signals from Murphy. It is absolutely too silly to further discuss the subject, and therefore I dismiss it. <laughs> it's like, I've, I've, I'm tired of hearing about this, so let's not worry about it We were just joking anymore. around and electrocuting our third base. It was fun. Everybody, everyone was doing it. And uh, also, like, he keeps, he, he uh, there's another quote of, of, of him just completely shutting down any discussion on it. And this one, he drops a little Latin on her ass as well. So he goes on to say, this is Colonel Rogers. I don't know why he's a colonel. Maybe there's a lot of colonels. A lot of colonels back, then. back yeah. then. So it's absolutely too silly to further discuss the subject. And I therefore dismiss it. I will certainly not dignify the charge by pleading not guilty because minimus non Correct lex, which translated means the law does not cure trivial matters. So he's saying it's just such a mind. Like, yeah. we don't need to litigate this at all. We don't all. need to worry about cheating in the game whatsoever. No, no. Like, are you kidding? We were electrocuting our third base coach. <laughs> it was fine. So what? Sometimes we might have been to do it to let people know what pitch was coming. Everyone else can electrocute their third base coach. I don't see a we don't rule have a against problem. it. We don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Look, we'll just know what's happening. We'll switch up the signs. Like it's <laughs> they're just dumb. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, as any news cycle, news slowly began to fade, and Charles was uh, most likely still going to return to the Phillies for the 1901 season, probably in a coaching role. Uh, but finally, Charles' luck with the law ran out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you hearken back to the beginning of this episode where it was just prefaced with what a piece of shit this guy was and a predator and uh, like, anyways. Um, yeah, fuck this guy. What happens? So in February 1901, Childs attended uh, El Paso's first ever midwinter carnival. So thank you, El Paso, for putting on your delightful midwinter carnival we gotta go. that led to the arrest of Pierce Childs. Um, we got to do an episode from the El Paso winter carnival. Yeah, we're here <laughs> on hollowed ground. <laughs> um, not exactly sure uh, what happened, um, but at some point in the winter carnival ecstasy, uh, Childs was actually fined $101. So he had a $101 infraction, which is $3,500 in today's money. Damn. That's a pretty big ticket. You had How to much? do... $150? 101 Oh, 101 Yeah, that's... But it says, say, roughly 3500 bucks. What do you have... What would you have to do to get a $3,500 ticket right now? Like, you, you'd probably have to stack a couple things, like, pretty... Once again, minor. You're just getting a ticket... But like, <laughs> like it would be like public urination, well intoxicated, well like. It, it just, I don't know, it man. Would be, I don't know if you could get, get like no. a thirty-five hundred dollar ticket without like losing a fucking car or something like that. So as and even then, as Charles's as Charles's life and career has been, uh, he's run out of town. He's like, oh fuck, I fucked up the winter fare. I gotta get out of here. So <laughs> it was a the train ride home though, where Charles' luck really ran out, along with his friend named D.B. Sherwood. They spotted a young soldier on his way home named Benjamin F. Henry and took him as a mark. So, I 
am honestly quite confused, and that's probably what this whole trickery was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just going to read some of this again. This is from Ron Schuler's Saber piece. Uh, so this is what Ron Schuler uh, has uncovered about what happened on that train. So, uh, according to Henry's testimony, the af- affable Sherwood struck up a conversation with Henry and was soon sitting next to him for the ride. A while later, Charles came down the aisle, stopping at Sherwood's shoulder and asking him for a light for his pipe. Sherwood pulled out a matchbox and handed it to Charles. Charles feigned Feigned difficult, feigned difficulty opening it and protested to Sherwood. Well, what are you trying to do? He asked. Poke fun at me? Sherwood insisted that there were matches inside the box, but Charles still couldn't open it. Finally, handing the box back to him, <laughs> to his accomplice, declaring, I can't open it, and nobody else can either. I will bet you $50 or any amount of money <laughs> that he, referring to Henry, can't open it. Sherwood leaned over and whispered to Henry, How much money do you have? (laughs) (laughs) I bet we can win. (laughs) Henry demurred, uh, but Charles kept the con alive, betting Sherwood $5 and saying, I'll pay this man a dollar for every dollar in his pocket if he can open the box. So I don't quite, like, trying to con this soldier out of his, his paycheck... But they're like, yeah, I can't open these matches. Oh, Can you open it's them? crazy. It's like an infomercial. It's like, are you tired of using a hose? And someone like <laughs> strangling themselves with a hose. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, Sherwood handed the box to Henry, who opened it without difficulty. Child said, all right, I am an honest man and I pay every time I lose. Pay him $5. Sherwood, Sherwood said, pointing at Henry, no, I won't, said Charles. He hasn't got any money on his person. Henry then admitted that he had $95 in his pocket. As Henry got his money out to show Childs, Childs and Sherwood engaged in a pretend argument over the bet and in the end ensuing in the end ensuing confusion, Sherwood got a hold of Henry's money. So they start arguing they're like, how much money do you have, soldier? And he's like, don't ask him how much money he's got. Better than they start fighting back and forth. And then Sherwood just reaches over and grabs the money. And they're like, run! Oh, man. <laughs> Slick. Yeah. Slick robbery. Yeah, yeah. So they try to make an escape. I don't, they're on a train, like, right? So, but Henry was a soldier, you know. And anyways, he doesn't like beat the shit out of them, but he quickly alerts the engineer and the brake man who alert the staff who lock down the train and apprehend the two guys. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, your mustache. <laughs> uh, Mark. Yeah, those were the guys, the, the people on the train with me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the train was stopped at, and Charles and Sherwood were brought back to a jail cell in El Paso. Uh, stupid ass crime. I know, but I mean, ninety five dollars. Well, that's the equivalent to you know just under thirty five hundred, as we know. Oh, it's like a big take, but, but it's just yeah. Like, what? Yeah, I don't really even understand what happened. So in the past, and this is somewhat like insinuated because uh, as I say not a ton of info on this guy, but he had avoided some minor stuff in the past by by being. Pierce Childs and being like, whoa, I know this big baseball man in town. And they'd be like, oh, okay, if you know him, you know, <laughs> sorry, you killed that horse. Like, you can go. <laughs> um, but, anyways, uh, so Childs is writing to everybody 
in the baseball world, friends, management, all that, trying to be like, hey, come rescue me or send yeah. me a really good lawyer. Yeah. Um, and, Help and, me out here. Yeah, so that doesn't really work. Uh, but he maintains his innocence and that it was all a misunderstanding. Uh, and he really, really is just like, no, 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 it was fine. Like, it's just, no, you'll see this guy, he's lying. He's not even going to show up to the trial. He's not, he's not, he's not even like, we're going to walk away as soon as like court dates can come. It's going to be fine. And then Sherwood has his trial first and, and Henry comes back to El Paso and is like, yeah, this guy that robbed me. <laughs> <laughs> just fingers him right yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Giles then goes, oh shit. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> so he pleads guilty. Um, and this is what the El Paso newspaper reports. Uh, Pierce Childs, the famous coach and buzzer manipulator of the Philadelphia club, is now lost in a sea of despair. He has signed a new contract, but not for any $2,400, nor will any American League team try to steal him away from his new employers. Childs is to do two years on the Huntsville convict farm, and his uniform will be black and white with the number... 24876 across his back and will not stop at Fifth Avenue Hotel but sleep in an abandoned hog pen. And his daily menu will include sour bacon, hominy, cornbread, and pure water. Incidentally, Childs will be allowed to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and the work will be so difficult from that of the last year uh, that it will be an interesting novelty. Such is the fate of Pierce Childs. How this man ever got on Philadelphia's team is a mystery, but he was run out of Kansas and Texas years ago for serious crimes and now gets the two-year trick uh, for working a flim-flam game. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a very specific retelling of his, yes. his sentence. It very much sums up you know, how he should have probably been in jail a lot longer before mm -hmm. this. And I love them. <laughs> how the hell is he on the Phillies? Yeah, like, how do you even get up here? This guy's terrible. Should have been arrested long ago because he's such a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. So Charles served his time. And uh, by served his time, I mean, no, he, he totally escaped. <laughs> no, no. In August, 19, August 19th, 1902. So, so he's like eight months 12 months. I don't know. He served like a year and he escapes. He just runs out. Um, so he just runs out. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, once again, he, he manages to escape. He escapes on August 19th. So it's like almost the end of the baseball season. He ends up playing for the Natchez, Mississippi Indians of the Cotton State League <laughs> no. in September. He just he runs to a baseball team, of course. Yeah, he escapes. I mean, it's worked for him. He he got out of Texas, right? That's like true. he was wanted in Texas back in those days. You're like, well, as long as I don't run into a police officer and they're not like, what's your name? And I go, Pierce Childs. It's <laughs> true. Like they have to really know. Anyway, mm -hmm. so um, he escapes and he still manages to get a job. After that, Childs headed west all the way up to Portland, Oregon, and the Portland Browns Club in the Pacific Coast League. This did not work out, however, because he was quickly dismissed from the team in February 1903 after getting arrested for punching a woman in the face. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Yes. Yeah. What a piece yeah. of shit. <laughs> Literally. Sporting Life reported the incident. Childs struck her in the face, blackening her and loosening her teeth. I don't know why I Holy put that quote in there, fuck. but that's, you know, he, Jesus, dude. Um, so once again, 
like just if anybody's like i have sisters it doesn't mean anything um so the following month pacific northwest league president wh lucas strenuously denied that Charles had been signed by the league's san francisco club declaring Charles will never be permitted to play in the pacific northwest league so long as i am president of it so Charles's reputation and his time as a baseball player seemed like it was pretty much done now he's 35 years old He's wanted in several states. Yeah. Uh, he's up in the Pacific Northwest, basically, because it's the furthest thing from major populated areas. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, he's just, he's done. He only can find work at with Fortuna, a uh, semi-pro club in Northern California, a really small league. Um, and that's it. For years, many people just thought he disappeared. I mean, there were, of course, rumors and stuff. Well, maybe, you know, he did this and then da da Like, you know, the San Francisco earthquake was right after this, which left thousands of people dead. Mm-hmm. You never know. Um, but he did not die or, you know, go to jail or any of the other hypotheses of the past. Uh, because very recently, a Sabre member uh, named Peter Morris and uh, Peter... A Facebook friend requested you. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to hear a little bit more about this, but you didn't get back to me. Uh, So Peter Morris reportedly tracked down uh, Pierce It's No Use Childs. Uh, He ended up going back to Missouri, where he was wanted for rape, and living under the aliases Nugent uh, Childs, N.B. Childs, or Newton Baron Childs. Most likely... You didn't think to change up Childs? Well, Giles is just so <laughs> regular of a name. I don't know. Once again, there was no computer criminal databases. I guess so, right? yeah. Born in 1867. Yeah, yeah, someone would have to go yeah. through a, an old file folder to, yeah. to really... Yeah. yeah. So, I guess this guy didn't literally go back and meet this dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if this was That's the... Was thinking. If this second. was the case, and if Newton Baron Giles was actually Pierce Giles, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like... like Peter did his research really well. He's, yeah, very good researcher at Sabre. Uh, Charles uh, would eventually move back to California, uh, and he would sell woolen goods after his baseball career and died uh, at, like, 66, I guess, in uh, 1933. And that's the story of the first ever scheme to electronically steal the picture signs That's and the piece of shit that did it <laughs> that did it that's an insane story i can't i did not expect there was an acapella showdown in this story <laughs> yeah, as like, well there was a lot of stuff there, jail there. time like whole bunch of believe, i mean train I guess, robberies not really but you know say, like i mean i can't believe he inv- he evaded arrest for as long as he did especially like staying such in the public eye but i guess like well fuck the team's new, so like it still just seems it seems unfathomable. They just to give me him that a... he just like carried on for like what, like ten years or more. <laughs> they give him a different number every game. No, Giles is eleven. That that guy's fourteen. I don't know what to tell you. Giles is not playing tonight. No, no, he he left. He definitely did not go two for three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. oh man. And he made it, he made it to the majors. Like yeah. it, it's absolutely wild that the Phillies found anything redeeming about him, but it sounded like he was one of those guys that weans his way into a place. And you're like, Oh, that guy's great. And then after four months, you're like, that guy is a terror. He's going to kill all of us. Mm-hmm. Every like, every- <laughs> well, yeah. as, as like with, you know, I think, 
you see in a lot of like crime documentaries yeah. and stuff is that like a lot of like evasive criminals like that are yeah. you know good at sliding into their situations and blending in and charm being charming charm. yeah 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 well i mean that's the thing i don't know what we call this episode it's we'll a think really of... dark story though it is it is i i didn't like well, honestly... i was a bit uncomfortable at the beginning I, I'm, I'm not sorry. gonna lie like that's the thing is that that's where i struggle i mean we you know we can talk about this off the air but you know sometimes right it's it's like I love the podcast beyond behind the bastards because it's it's talking about the worst people and mm-hmm. it it's like kind of a you know it's not a happy outlet for the worst but you you get to kind of you get to learn but you're also just like god damn the world's a dark place yeah, fucked up <laughs> yeah 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 so I mean that's the thing is is you know if it was if if Charles hadn't invented or helped invent electronic sign stealing, I don't think we'd do an episode on him just because he was no, just no. a general piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. more of a story about. I think it, like my takeaway from the story is about the like culture, sci- the science stealing, but like also just you know, I'm not surprised that it was like by such a fucking shitty. Well, no, the, the whole baseball culture back then, right? Like, it, yeah, the whole is, yeah. The 1890s. Well, we talked about it. The yeah. whole league and, like, it was, like, you know, full of people that were, you know, not the most endearing people. And and if you put it into context, in less than two decades, you have the Black Sox scandal. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's how much of a page-turner this is for, for Major League Baseball. Whereas, like, they were like, <laughs> like, Pierce Giles would have probably kept coaching if he hadn't rob that soldier mm-hmm. like there, there, there it wasn't really much consequence for him yeah whereas in 19 years later guys got banned from baseball mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i know that's slightly different when it comes to betting on the game and stuff like that but it just goes to show you know how much how much more seriously mm-hmm. it was taken yeah. even you know less than 20 years later yeah yeah one thing i do kind of question is like i don't know if like well, maybe he would have, because, like, you know, I feel like even in the American League, they made, like, exceptions as well. But, you know, with the American League coming up within, like, the next season or two yeah, at that yeah, point, yeah. 1901, I think, like, Ben Johnson starting that league and really wanting to clean up his league, yes. you know, I, I don't know if he would have fared the, in that. Yeah, it yeah. spurred the American or the National League to, to, to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So that's it. So they, that's uh, that's the story. Uh, so as I say, there's a couple of sources there that uh, I quoted from. Definitely, uh, that book cheated. Uh, it looks absolutely awesome. Um, and and definitely, as I say, a big, big, big thank to Ron Schuler uh, and his research. Uh, you could tell he uh, he really, really. I don't know. He really just. Something about Charles' story stuck with him. And uh, also, I mean, that's what I mean. We, we, we can do this because of people like him and, and because of people like Peter Morris that, that found out that extra little tidbit afterwards, mm-hmm. too. Dug a little deeper. Yeah, because at the end of the Saber bio, which is about 15 years old, it's just like, and then he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Peter Morris was able to be like, I think it might be this guy. And, yeah. you know, it, he didn't do a great job of covering his tracks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So until next time, uh, follow us on the Twitter at Doing Baseball at Sean Do Baseball and Ed's Do Baseball. Follow us on the Instagram at 
uh, at doing dot baseball. Sorry, I'm just. Um, yeah, you got uh, focus, man. Yeah. Two more seconds. Give yeah. us a review. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we got two weeks until we bring you another awesome story from baseball history. Uh, yes, enjoy this summer. Enjoy baseball season. It's and, not here forever. Yeah, and thanks for listening. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.